Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco, or perhaps a burrito. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Master Photography Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. In this episode, you better buckle up. <laughs> Get ready for a really long and technical episode. I am going to talk today about the export settings photographers should use when they're posting images out of Photoshop and Lightroom to social media, specifically Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And there's going to be mixes or there's going to be sections of this episode where there's a lot of technical details. So if you're not super interested in the full technical details, I'm going to give you the TLDR right up front. If you don't know what that means, that's too long, didn't read, and in this case, didn't listen. <laughs> so I'm going to give you that the settings right up front to use. And if you're interested in like the why and what testing went into this, then you know just keep listening and uh, I will fill you in on everything or head over to phototacopodcast.com. Look for the show notes and you're going to have a ton of content to be able to consume and kind of understand what led into this. So that TLDR, like I promised, if you're exporting out of Lightroom or Photoshop, here are the settings that you should use to get the very best quality images out of the social media networks. You want your images to look the best they can on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Here are the settings to use. This is just universal, uh, you know, general rules um, that I, I can tell you now after having more than 80 hours of testing for doing this. And I'm going to go through what that all means. But here's the settings. 4,096 pixels on the long edge. You're going to choose that and set the quality to 77%, which is applicable both to Photoshop and Lightroom, though uh, kind of different reasoning for it. And if you're interested, again, keep listening. And I'll tell you why all of that. Um, you don't have to worry about DPI, but go ahead and put whatever you want in there. If you want 300, fine, do it. It doesn't affect your images, and I'll talk about that too. So there's there's your settings. 496 on the longest edge, 77 quality settings. That's what this episode is all about. That if, if that's all you're after, you're done. <laughs> Congratulations. You have the information. Um, if you want more detail, then keep listening, and we're, we're going to go through it. Okay, so... Now I'm going to first explain a little bit about the why behind those numbers. And then I'm going to go through and tell you detail in painstaking detail. I'm going to tell you about my, my testing approach, what I did here, how I got there, and some really interesting like mathematical comparisons between images. So I, I hope you'll find all that detail interesting, but mostly I wanted to make sure that's there to lend credibility to it. Um, I've seen tons of guides out there online over the years that tried to specify what the settings should be if you're going to post images to the social media platforms as photographers. And most of those guides were trying to illustrate what you had to do to avoid the social media network from murdering your images, from compressing them and making them look very different. I've seen a lot of information out there and I, I I knew it was wrong from my own usage, but that's anecdotal. That it wasn't a full test. I needed to get down into the, the weeds, especially fresh here in 2021. So maybe it worked more like I've seen in some of these guides in the past where you did, if you did compress the images, if you cer used certain settings on export, that the social media networks wouldn't touch them and, and your image would make it through and, and you could control how they looked a little better. It's no longer the case. After doing all this testing in 2021, 
I can without a doubt tell you, it doesn't matter what you do as you're exporting your images, those social media networks are going to touch your image. They are going to compress it. It's going through an engine and it's going to alter your image. Um, so why then do I specify those settings for 4096 and 77? Well, it's really just a matter of conserving your own resources than anything else. Um, you, you definitely don't want to make them a lot smaller than that. And I'll go through some details of each network individually so you, you can get a sense for that. You, you need them to be a certain size to get high quality, but over that size, you're wasting resources. You're wasting your hard drive space. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your bandwidth when you could conserve it a little bit and still end up at this at really the same spot in the social media network as you're posting your images. So this information is not given to try to make it so that you don't have your image get compressed because that can't happen. There's there's nothing you can do to make it so that your image doesn't get compressed. I think that message is going to be said or clear over and over in this episode. I share it just as conserving your own resources. So if you don't care about that, if you don't care about the time you're spending on this, the time your computer takes to export images, the size of the images on your hard drive or the bandwidth that you're going to use to post these images, then go ahead and export them at full resolution and 100% quality and let the social media network do its thing because uh, you're going to end up at really the same spot either way. So th those are why the settings were given was just for that, not to try to avoid compression because you can't. Okay, so let's talk about why I arrived at those settings or what the testing did. So the first thing that I really had to do, and I underestimated things here a little bit uh, with regard to Twitter. Twitter in was the one specifically that made me change what I went into this test believing would be the happen would be the best case. So I have for years, I have used and recommended a pixel size of 2048 on the long edge when posting to social media. It's a, and that's still, it's not a bad metric. That's still a, a pretty decent one. But um, in doing the testing, I discovered Twitter actually allows for significantly higher. It allows up to 4096 pixels on the long edge. So if you want to get the most out of Twitter, if you were using 2048 on the long edge, you were using like half the resolution that Twitter supports. And maybe that's too much. We'll get to that right after this. But um, that's that's was surprising to me. I was shocked. And it made me have to restart the test once I figured that out because uh, I had to start with bigger images to be able to truly test this out the way I needed to. I needed to be supplying original images that were bigger pixel dimensions than were supported by the, the media, social media networks. And when Twitter supported 4096, I was surprised and I had to kind of start over my test. So that's why the 4096 on the longest edge Here's what happens with Facebook and Instagram, though, because they are much more stingy with the photos that they will store in their social media networks. So Facebook, the maximum resolution that they store and that you can use and see as a user using the service is 1920 pixels on the long edge. So when you had 2048, you were just a little bit bigger than that. And you were submitting the image. It gave Facebook a lot of pixels and a lot of resolution to be able to deal with as they were compressing things. And, uh, and that was, that was a pretty decent way to be able to approach that. 2048 was a, a pretty good compromise between like giving more quality than Facebook was asking for and still save conserving your hard drive space, your time, your bandwidth, those kinds of things. 
again, it doesn't avoid having your image compressed. And, and we'll get to that. I'll be able to, to outline that. Instagram is even more stingy. It's the stingiest of all the networks. And it makes sense because Instagram is primarily targeted at being used on mobile devices. Mobile devices are significantly smaller. The resolution, while the screen technologies can be very good and, and provide more resolution, um, there just isn't a lot of reason to support pixel dimensions bigger than 1080 on the long edge. And that's what Instagram limits things to. And with all of these services, it is possible to be able to use devices or use uh, by the way you access the service. You may even see images sized smaller than these. I was able to find lots of places in all of these services where when you access it in a specific way, you get much smaller versions of the images. And this was just the uh, these were the, the maximum resolutions that I saw supported out of all those services. So, again, just to hurry summarize, but if you're having a hard time following all of this is documented in great detail over at phototacopodcast.com. But Facebook is 1920 pixels was the maximum on the long edge. Instagram 1080 and Twitter a massive 4096. And that's why my recommendation has changed now to 4096. If you are also going to post to Twitter, if you're only going to post to Facebook and Instagram, then I would go with 1920 or maybe 2048 and give it just a little bit more data to go through the compression engines and get like the best you can out of those platforms. Okay, so that's why the 4096, why a quality level of 77? And there's a lot here. I could do an entire episode on quality of 77% when you're exporting out of Photoshop and Lightroom. Um, it turns out to be a pretty magical number from the Lightroom perspective, Lightroom Classic. Uh, it's really been about the same for a long time now, since like 1984-ish, somewhere around there, where Lightroom has functioned exactly the same way and mapped to um, even the challenge is Lightroom represents this number as 101 different views, zero to 100 in percentage. But in reality, when you use the platform and you export out of those images, it's chunks of that percentage are all exactly the same. And so, so it's, it's documented well in some analysis that, um, uh, Jeffrey Friedel did a long time ago. It's, it's a bit dated, but I've done enough testing of it to kind of validate that it looks like it's still true today. And that's the analysis of Lightroom JPEG export quality settings. And you can go see his blog post where he does a great job of illustrating this kind of magical area where 77 is, is the best compromise or the best balance between image quality and file size. You can get really save a lot of disk space and compress the image down, which is going to save on not only your disk space, but your bandwidth as you upload these images because they're much smaller and your time. It'll take much less time for your images to get uploaded to these services. Um, it, it's a really good balance between those for most images. Uh, this is also discussed really well in uh, another article called JPEG Compression Levels in Photoshop and Lightroom from my friends over at Photography Life. I love the work that they do as well. They do a really good job of illustrating things. It's a bit newer kind of a, um, analysis of this and a very similar kind of um, number of 77% being recommended. And then um, you can also check out the an episode I did on kind of, at least for, for Photoshop, how that you can make JPEG exports. There's many ways to be able to do that. And, and that goes through kind of how to do it. So I don't want to focus too much on it here. Um, 
this 77 is kind of a magical number. But if your image, when you're exporting an image, if you take a look at it before you upload and you see maybe some artifacts there, you see some banding, especially in like skies. If you've got skies, if this is a, a landscape or even a portrait photo where the, a sky is prominent in the image and you see lines in the sky, you see like definite marks where it goes from maybe one color to another, it's called banding, then uh, you might want to try using an export value of 85% from Lightroom Classic and it corresponds uh, okay into Photoshop. Um, if, if you're worried about it, you're like, wait, I don't want to lose any, I want to give all of the quality I can to, uh, to these social networks. I want a hundred percent JPEG quality. I mean, go ahead, you can do it, but I'm telling you, you're wasting, <laughs> you're wasting disk space bandwidth and time if you do, uh, because there is like no distinguishable difference between a hundred and down to almost 85. Um, so you're, you're just wasting a lot of resources to do that. So if you're okay with that and you just don't want to deal with it, you want to have the, the best possible kind of output, then go ahead, do a hundred. Uh, I just think it's an overkill and 77 is going to work really well most of the time. Plus you got to remember the social media networks are going to compress your image anyway. So, uh, what you do there has almost no impact on how your image ends up in the social media network. And we're going to get into how I've been able to prove that and, and have some, some empirical data, not just anecdotal uh, stories here. Um, I do want to mention that the compression, the quality setting between Lightroom and Photoshop, they have kind of the same scale now. They didn't used to, but they do now when you're using export as in Photoshop. But in, I did a little bit of testing and they don't actually produce the same file sizes. So it's not exactly the equivalent between Lightroom and Photoshop. It looks like Photoshop produces slightly bigger files, which probably indicates there may be a slightly higher quality out of it. And so like if you do 77% in Photoshop and you do 77% and you don't even do like output sharpening when you're exporting out of Lightroom Classic, they're not exactly the same. They're not equivalent to each other. But I, I validated through that all of the testing I've done here, which is all images I exported through Photoshop. That's where I did all of my uh, quality level settings. Um, there's not a difference in behavior. I validated, I did enough testing, I validated that there's no difference in behavior for, from what I'm about to describe with all of these things between when I used it. So 77% still, I think a very valid number that you can go for and feel comfortable that your images most of the time are going to be at a very high level of quality uh, and then, and very appropriate for sharing to social media platforms, knowing that they're going to murder your photo. <laughs> they're, they're going to alter it significantly as you upload it. Okay. So let's move on to the next question. What about DPI? And, I have struggled trying to communicate this and help people understand this for a very long time. I did an episode in Photo Taco about DPI just myself. I brought on the mad scientist himself, Mr. Dom Kamarechka, to come on with me. We talked about it. We explained how this works. DPI has absolutely no effect when you are specifying the pixel dimensions of your photo. And I know you're going to hear that that's not true 
from other people, people, maybe even people who should know better, like editors at magazines or some, or, or a newspaper where if you give them an image and you didn't set DPI to 300, they're going to say, I need an image that's at 300 DPI, even though you specified pixel dimensions. Um, it does change the metadata, sure, but it doesn't change the pixels at all. And I mean, okay, if you're worried about it, then fine, go ahead, put 492 in there. Why 400? I mean, that's bigger than 300, right? That should be better. Why did I pick 492? It just happens to be my favorite number. I just came up with that years and years ago. My kids ask me to guess numbers occasionally for whatever, for various different purposes. And that's always the one I give them now. And uh, they, they kind of hate it because it mocks the whole guess of number thing. But anyway, so put whatever you want in there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. That's why DPI is not part of what I'm specifying. But if it makes you feel better, go ahead and put 492 in there and uh, and save your image um, because it won't change anything. Okay, now let's talk about 4096 is the, if you're going to post to all three services, that's the recommended minimum now. And so the problem is, what it, it, could that be too much? Is that giving too much quality to all of these images? And it, it it's possible that could be too much quality for Twitter. Now, Facebook and Instagram, this doesn't matter. They are going to downsize your image. They're going to resize it to the dimensions I already talked about. Facebook, 1920, uh, Instagram, 1080. So even if you pick a 4096, your images are going to be much smaller on both of those platforms. But with Twitter, if you give it an image that's 4096, on the long edge, it's still it's going to retain that size. And if you do that, um, a three by two standard aspect ratio, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But I had an Im- I had images, my test images here came out of Twitter at 4096 by 2732. And if you translated that into print, which does mean we have inches, and this is a place now where DPI matters because we have inches that we're talking about, not just pixels. You could print at 13 by 9. That's a pretty large sized print that someone could take your Twitter posted image and use. And maybe you're not comfortable with that. Maybe you want to limit the quality of what a person can get from your images that you share on Twitter. Totally legitimate. And if that's the case, maybe you want to consider something more like 2048 at that point just to give a really high quality version of the image, but make it still small enough that <laughs> you don't, you're not as worried about someone taking that image and making a, a pretty large print out of it. So a decision that you have to make there. But if you want the very highest quality, uh, 4096 is what you have to do. Okay, now let's let's go through what the normal approach is to these settings. Most of the time when I have seen it communicated, what settings to use as you're exporting to be able to post to social media, the objective the photographer has or the person has in telling you, advising you on these settings is to make it so that you skip or you bypass the compression engine that these services use to uh, limit how big these photos are going to be when they store them on their platform. Makes sense, right? If you think about this, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they all have, you know, hundreds of thousands, even millions of users uploading images regularly. And it just, there's no way that those services can store images that are 
dozens of megabytes. It, it just it doesn't make sense. They would have a massive storage problem. They probably have a massive storage problem anyway, but that would make it much, much worse. They have to protect their platform, and therefore, they, when they take an image from a, a person with an account, they have to resize it. They have to downsize that image. They have to make it much smaller. And so it makes sense that that's going to be the case. And it, it may have been at one point that if a photographer downsized their image themselves before posting it, that the service would say, oh, this is an image that's already within my guidelines on what I want to store. And so I'm going to ignore, I'm not going to pass it through the compression engine to make it smaller. I'm just going to use it as it is. That was an objective a lot of photographers had because they liked the result that they could get themselves better than what the result would be after putting it through the compression engine that these platforms use. I have done all of this testing and it's, if it was once the case, it no longer is here in 2021. I can tell you with absolute certainty based on empirical testing. And I'll tell you, I'm going to walk through what I did in the testing. Cause I, I think it just needs to be there for the credibility of this information. Uh, you cannot make it so that your image doesn't pass through their compression engine, which I think if you really think about it also makes sense. Like why would Facebook or Twitter or Instagram waste processing time, waste any kind of check to see if the image is compressed enough already when their algorithms are super tuned for their platform. It's what they're comfortable with getting and they are just going to immediately send it through it. Just, don't even look at the image. Just as soon as you get it, send it through the algorithm so that it, what comes out is something they know is going to be acceptable for storing on their platform. So I, I have the evidence now. It is going to pass through, and, and it's really a problem for Instagram and Facebook in particular. Twitter surprised me, and we'll get to how it surprised me. They're doing it very differently, and you kind of get more of an effect of this, but it's still going to pass through the compression engine, even for Twitter. So for all three platforms, your image is going through the platform, no matter what you do to it, to prepare it to be uploaded. Okay, let's talk about this testing now. Now that I've kind of shared the whys behind these things, and you can understand kind of the, the general purpose of this. And if you're not interested in the nitty gritty, highly technical details I'm about to go through on this testing, then skip forward, I don't know, probably 15, maybe even 20. I, I didn't, I haven't timed it, so I don't know how, how far forward you should go, but you can probably fast forward quite a bit and skip through this and get some final thoughts at the end of this. Although I've really shared most of the information that you all will find um, helpful if that's all you're after and you don't care about the technical setup. Here we go. Let's dive in to the technology here. Okay. As I mentioned, I was surprised with Twitter's uh, support of really high resolution images. Uh, 4096 is considerably bigger and more resolution than Facebook and Instagram support. I was shocked at that. And so um, my initial approach into doing this testing, I came into this having kind of a rough understanding of how this works, having done a little bit of testing before this, uh, nothing compared to the testing I did now in preparing for this episode. But I I thought 2048, I mentioned that, I thought 2048 was going to be good enough because everything was downsized from there, was smaller than that. And when I found out Twitter was bigger, I, I had to restart my test, which cost me a bunch of time because I had already launched my test. I started with Facebook and Instagram and doing my testing. And then when I got to Twitter last, 
I discovered this and I had to throw away all of the testing that I had already completed for Facebook and Instagram because I had to um, get higher quality original images to send through the platform. So here's the test I finally came to that I'm documenting and, and walking through the technical details of. It's a five-step process. And the first step was I had to export a JPEG from a raw file at a resolution of 5120 by 3415. So that's just a three by two resolution. And that is um, big. It's not my full resolution of my camera, but it's a reasonably sized JPEG that is bigger than the dimensions of the, any of these services, specifically now Twitter. And um, and I exported them at 100% quality. Now I know I, I just got done telling you 77 is where you should be but I wanted to make sure that I tested it at 100 to see the impact and make sure that the tests allowed for that to see if there's a difference. And then we're gonna go through how um, 77 is, is a really good place to be. Okay, step number two was I needed to ex or to post that image. So the first step was exporting it with those specific characteristics. The second step was posting that image to the service. Um, just normal thing, really simple to be able to post it to the service. The third step, I needed to have a way to download the resulting image that after the, the photo went through the service, went through their compression engine, I needed to get the final, the, the image that came out of that um, so that I could compare it and, and contrast it and see the differences and what happened, but also so that I could then take that image, the one that came out of the service and repost it again. And I wanted to do that upload, download, upload process, I wanted to do a thousand rounds of that 1000 times. And I, I set that that goal because I had seen some other takes on doing a similar thing. In fact, I'm pretty sure I saw something on Instagram years ago. I tried to find it, but I couldn't I couldn't find it um, as I was looking for it. But I, I, I think I saw where they did this very thing. They uploaded the image, they downloaded the result, and then they took that result and uploaded the image again. And they cycled through that something like 10, 20, I don't know exactly how many times. It was well short of a thousand. And they showed that by at some point, there was like very little detail in the image. It was being compressed over and over and over and over by Instagram and or whichever service. I can't remember which service for sure it was. And and they were illustrating like, wow, this is this gets bad <laughs> when you do this a lot of times. And so I figured I would find uh, a some point where the quality level was like so poor that you it was it was a problem and that a thousand times a thousand rounds through the, each service would give me a lot of data to be able to make some judgments and decide what's going on there give me some insight into the compression algorithms that each is using and so on and so so that was my objective i just decided 1000 plus i i wanted my data to be like super authoritative. I wanted it to exceed the testing that I'd ever seen anyone do. And I'm pretty confident nobody has done a thousand rounds of upload, download, upload cycles through these services. So that's what I needed to do. That's what I set out as my goal as I was doing this. Now, 
there's different approaches that can do this. Uh, it's not reasonable to think that you're going to manually go through and do this across three different services. I'm going to post the image, download the image, and then upload that resulting image. And I'm going to do that a thousand times for each service. So we have a minimum of like 3,000 of these to go through. It's just not going to work manually. I, I'd be here for weeks and weeks in my spare time trying to do this. Uh, and it's mind numbing, right? To to do that process over and over and over is just mind numbing work. Plus, I'm I'm a developer by trade. I spent twenty more than twenty years developing web applications, and uh, now I do security for those applications. And I look at every problem like this as a potential opportunity to be able to write code that will solve my problem for me and automate all of this, which of course is the process I chose to do here. So I, un I, I expected to go into this. I set the goal of a thousand rounds and I expected to be able to use the APIs of all these services to make that happen. There's um, the, you know, a non-browser-based way to be able to access these services. All three of them have ways to be able to do that from code to be able to access those services, and that's through something called APIs. And, uh, and I was confident I could do that. So I, I whipped out Visual Studio Code, and I'm kind of surprised. I love Visual Studio Code. I haven't really appreciated Visual Studio in the past. I mean, if that, that's your thing, great. But I'd never really liked that IDE. Um, I really love Visual Studio Code. It's, it's uh, really impressive, I think. Okay, so I started with Facebook. That's the biggest player. I mean, when we think about sharing images online, um, younger people are going to think of Instagram first. But... I thought of Facebook first, and I knew Instagram owned by Facebook was very, very similar. So I figured if I solved for Facebook, I'd probably also solve for Instagram. And it turns out to mostly be true. It also turns out that Facebook and Instagram neither allows you to use their graph API to be able to make posts um, through for, for personal accounts, normal personal accounts, which is a problem because... I planned to create test accounts for these. I just wanted to be, you know, free personal accounts and use those. But I, it, and, and it was a problem that you really had to have a business account for, to be able to post to it. They, they are restricting the ability to use these APIs to automate posting unless you have a business level account. It takes a little bit more work to set it up. I didn't want to do that. And so the API approach, writing code to do this process for me, uh, became inviolable. I, I didn't want to do that. And so I had to go to plan B for Instagram and Facebook, which we'll talk about in a second. But for Twitter, it worked. For Twitter, API access is there. I could use it. And uh, I had that working you know, very, very quickly and, and could do it. Then I ran into another problem with the, over the APIs. Uh, with Twitter, even though I had the API, uh, another thing these websites have to do is protect themselves from abuse. They have to protect from making posts too quickly. And the industry term for that's called rate limiting. You, you have like a speed limit of how fast you can post. And if you go over that limit, you are temporarily denied access. And I actually locked out my accounts a few times because this rate limit is not 
published exactly. Twitter doesn't say exactly how fast you can post images. And so I bumped up against it a few times and, and locked accounts. And I, I think it may have even affected my, my other real accounts that I'm using uh, because of the IP address. And anyway, lots, lots of too much detail there, but, uh, but you can see what it is that, that was going on there. Okay. So so I, once I figured out the rate limiting, I got my data for Twitter. It, it just ran overnight. It had to go slow, but at least it wasn't manual. It was all automated. I got all of it done. Overnight, I got my thousand images that came out of the, the posting. Now I had to look at plan B. What am I going to do for Facebook and Instagram since the API technique was not going to work? And uh, my first plan B option was something I've also done a lot in my history as being a website developer. Uh, and that's browser-based automation. So using an actual browser, not APIs, using an actual browser to be able to do some testing, but having the browser itself automated. I didn't have to sit and click buttons or do anything. The browser would, would run and automate things. And, um, and so that was what I was going to do. There's an open source framework. It's really great for this. I've been using it for years called Selenium. And you can use CSS selectors and websites to be able to do a lot of automation. And it works pretty well uh, when it's, it, it works pretty well most of the time. As I got into it, I quickly discovered that Facebook and Instagram, they both have some like anti-browser automation stuff added into them. Again, protecting their website. They want to, re they want to make it so that bots can't, actively post things like I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make a bot that will post things and they don't want bots to post things. They only want people, real humans to post things. So they've taken some steps to try to make it so that the uh, these standard kind of browser automation techniques won't work. It was, I'm sure I could make it work. I could get through it if I really had to. Um, but there, that wasn't the point of this exercise. The point was to get my images. I needed to get a thousand rounds of this and that's, it, it wasn't to try to overcome the browser automation. So now to plan C, <laughs> I had to go to another plan. How am I going to get my images a thousand rounds of the post download post loop to happen without doing it manually? And the last approach was I'm going to do mouse and keyboard recordings. So I guess uh, similar in kind of nature to automating browser stuff, but I would record myself doing that post download upload, uh, you know, post download post cycle. And then I could have the soft, I could have software kind of do exactly the same thing, do the same mouse movements and the same keyboard keystrokes and, and go through that loop. And it took a little bit to figure out how to make it so that it could be a, a repeatable loop, but I got it. I figured it out. I used a tool called Macro Recorder. They offer stuff for both Mac and PC. So if you ever need something like that, that's a, a decent tool. Uh, they have a free version, but I, I ended up paying for it. It was helpful to me, so I paid for it. And so I have a license to be able to use it. And um, and it worked. Now, it wasn't without issue. I, I had to uh, make some adjustments to the scripts. It doesn't work the first time every time. But, but I got there, and I got my 1,000 images out of both Facebook and and Instagram so that I could uh, run the, the, get some results and get this data. And, uh, and so, so that's my testing approach. That's what I did to be able to do this. It was, it took a while to be able to have it all work out, but I got my, my information. Now I had to spend some time on 
consuming that information, what doing something with these images to be able to kind of draw some conclusions, be able to figure out what's going on as you post images behind the scenes and then what do what matters in the settings going into it. So I was, I was super excited as I was getting these images along the way. And um, my first test, the, the hypothesis I had going into this, and probably mostly due to I'd seen others post years past about how after you know, 10, 20, whatever the number was of posting, I think it was to Instagram, you had very little detail. I remember seeing something specifically about like, here's the, the original image and here's what it looks like after posting it 20 times through Instagram or something like that. Uh, that's what I expected. I expected that I was going to end up with like a fuzzy mess that compression was, was destroying this image, not only the first time you posted, but every time you posted. And eventually maybe even at a thousand, you'd end up with something that was like all not recognizable to the original version. Uh, that was my expectation. So I was super excited when I had all my images, I loaded them up. I took a look at the 1000th image. I just popped open to look at it, expecting to see that fuzzy mess. And it wasn't a fuzzy mess (laughs) for none of these services. Was it a fuzzy mess? It was fine. I mean, not the original and you can tell very easily between the original and, and the images that came out of all of these services that something had been changed, but I didn't get the fuzzy mess on image 1000. You can see that, as you post or as you go look at the show notes, you'll be able to see that it's not a fuzzy mess. I have images that I worked really hard to create so that you have uh, the, the website will show you a smaller version. But if you click on the image, you get to a larger version. You can compare it for yourself. I have them at full native resolution. The images between the first upload, so not the original, but the, the image that came out of the first upload to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter compared to the image that came from cycling those images through the service 1,000 times. And I think you'll agree with me. There are some differences. You can tell that there was more compression done as you did more postings, as you cycled through the, the post-download, post-cycle. But it didn't destroy it as badly as I had expected. They came out much closer to that first downloaded image than I expected. So now I had to go to, I had to dig deeper and I have to dig deeper on a lot of these things based on the, the data that I find. So the next thing I wanted to do was just, I needed to compare the file size difference. Visually, these images didn't look as significantly different, the 1000th image versus the first image didn't look significantly different like I had expected, but maybe the file size would tell me a different story. All right, so for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, when I posted the original, the original image file size was 3,262 kilobytes. So, you know, three megabytes essentially. And after the first upload, Facebook squashed that image down to be 673 kilobytes. Really, really small in comparison to the original. Instagram squashed it down to be 228 kilobytes. That's itsy bitsy. That's so tiny compared to the original. Twitter barely touched it. I had 3,262 kilobytes in the original, and I had 3,052 kilobytes after upload one on Twitter. And so that was interesting. And most of that 
difference in file size is the difference in resolution. Remember, I uploaded slightly bigger than the 4096 that was available. So just by resizing the image down to the 4096 pixels on the longest edge can account for most of that file size reduction. And so that was very interesting. Twitter was clearly different than the other services in looking at this, at the file size. Uh, okay, but then how did the difference between image one and image two, and again, image one being the downloaded image after the first post through the service, and image two was taking image one, putting it through the service, and then downloading it and compare, and, and now I have those both both of those downloads that I can compare. So image one from Facebook was 673 kilobytes, and image two, a very close but still different 670 kilobytes. So we lost three kilobytes in doing that. For Twitter, image one was 228 kilobytes, and image two was 224, so a difference of four K. And uh, Twitter, zero difference. <laughs> they were the same exact file size. Almost as if Twitter didn't do anything to the image on that second upload. At least based on file size, that's what it looked like. Interesting. Now jump to the 1,000 because you know the data from two to a thousand. We'll get to some instances where I get there, but it it's not something that's easy to illustrate. So I'm going to jump straight to a thousand now. The difference between image two and and image 1,000. So. Image two for Facebook was 670K and image 1000 was 662K. So it lost 8K between there. And so it, it got further compressed. Uh, for Instagram, it went from 224K to 217K. Twitter was identical. <laughs> so from image one through image 1000, the file size that came out of Twitter was exactly the same. And that leads us to kind of believe maybe it's possible to set a, the right pixel dimensions and the right compression setting so that Twitter won't touch your image. And I needed to drive to the end of that. It's already clear just from the file size here that that is not the case with either Facebook or Instagram because an image that came out of their compression engine, that upload one image is a result of their compression engine. And if there was a way to compress the image so that it wouldn't get touched again, then putting it through the engine again should have re re resulted in exactly the same image coming out. It didn't. It didn't work that way for image two. It didn't work that way through to image 1000. Well, sort of, I'll, I'll get to that. <laughs> so. That's it's super interesting that that's the case, but it, it already at this level with file size, which is not you know a full indicator about what's going on here. And I have I dug deeper still, it's interesting and already lends credence to it doesn't matter what compression settings or quality settings you use on export, these Facebook and Instagram are going to compress your image again. But maybe Twitter was different, and, and we got to dig in deeper. So now, now I wanted to go to, okay, we we looked visually at like the actual image that came out. They didn't. They look a little bit different, but it's really kind of hard to quantify how different it is. Uh, we've seen file size; it's an indicator, but it's not really a way to quantify the relative quality between these things. 
I wanted to get to kind of a an actual pixel level difference. What, how at a pixel level were these images different? Even though the file size may have changed a little from that upload one to upload two, did they only touch a few of the pixels or like were none of the pixels really touched and you just kind of somehow ended up with a slightly smaller file size? Because that's possible, uh, not probable, but possible. And so I needed to try to get a visual something that would show me a pixel level difference. And I've seen this done many, many times. You probably have too. people showing you like pixel level differences between images in Photoshop. You, you can set, you can use multiple layers, open one image as a base layer, and then another image as an, a layer on top of it. Then you set the layer to difference mode and you can try to see the, the pixel differences that are there between the two. Um, and so I did that. I imported the, upload one I am, and I imported the upload 1000. That's the where I was most interested of it at the get-go was comparing image one and image 1000 from these services. And so I, I did that base layer difference. It's mostly black. Uh, the pixels, when they are not different, they, they show black. And then you get um, some other colors for the pixels that are different. And you, uh, you if you go to the website, you can see kind of some faint reds that are there in the image um, by default. But I thought there's got to be more difference between these two images uh, it, it, that, that I'm not seeing. I, I must be doing something wrong in Photoshop. And it turns out it was. Uh, it turns out that to actually see like the pixel level difference between these images, what you have to do is add a threshold adjustment layer on top of the two layers and change the threshold to one. And now white pixels will be shown where there are pixel level differences between the two images. I just never done it before, so I didn't know to do that. And I have what the result is between upload one and 1000. And there's a lot of white on that screen. There is a ton of white. It is very, very different between the two images. By the way, the reason I didn't compare the original image to image 1000, because that would be pretty telling, or the original image to image one, maybe you're wondering, it's because in order for this to work, these pixel differences to work, they have to be the same resolution. And I did do that test, I'll outline that in a little bit, but I couldn't, be, I on purpose wanted the original file to be a, a larger resolution than was supported by these, these services, just to, to get this initial data. And so, um, so I, it was bigger and therefore I can't compare the two images out of this thousand round test to the original. It just, they have to be the same, same pixel dimensions. Okay. So, uh, you can go see that lots of white, lots and lots of white. What about though, the difference between image one and image two and how can, what does that look like at a, a pixel level difference? And so I have that and it's, it's not as busy. There's not quite as much whites. You can compare them on the webpage and be able to see that um, between image one and image two, which we kind of expect, you know, you, you send the image through the first time and as you send it through the second time, uh, it might do a little more. And, and as I, as you go uh, round three, round four, round five, and it's going to probably reduce pixels. And, and so you'd expect by the 1000th image, there'd be more differences than there would be between image one and two totally expected. And that is what proves out. Um, and then I did the same for, uh, for Instagram. And I, so I have the threshold difference layers, uh, Photoshop view, and you can go see that in the show notes. Ton, it, there's even more white. 
Instagram is doing even more between these images. So between one and 1000, it's like there's very little black on the page or on the, on the difference image and uh, a little less black, but still just so much that was changing between these images. And it just shows that the compression engine kind of takes more and more out of the photos post by post by post as you put it through. And we, but the, the overall point is if, if an image coming out of the compression engine, and I've already gone through this, but I want to just emphasize the point over and over here. If the image had gone through the compression engine and still wasn't good enough and Facebook and Instagram are still going to compress the image, then we have no chance as photographers to get that right up front and set a certain quality level and bypass the compression engine. Your in image is going to go through the compression engine. Okay. What about Twitter? Talked about Facebook and Instagram. What about Twitter and this Photoshop layer difference? And so I put it in there, image one and 1000 or sorry, I started with one and two uh, in my show notes because I, I just thought if, it, well, the, it showed across all of them that they were the same file size. Image one and two difference with threshold of one, no difference. Fully black screen, no white. Uh, image one and 1,000 where I had taken that through a thousand different times, no difference in Photoshop. The Photoshop difference layers, no difference Super interesting. The pixels were identical between them. So that made me think, okay, it might actually be possible that a photographer could get a compression setting and pixel dimensions that would make it so that the compression engine didn't do anything to the image. But I had to go deeper. <laughs> I had to go even deeper. To this point, everything was a visual analysis. Everything was was to look for like, well, how much white is on the screen in this Photoshop layer difference? And I wanted something more empirical. I wanted a way to quantify how different these images are. And I thought there's got to be a utility, a library. There's got to be something out there that came maybe out of academia, maybe people uh, you know earning doctorate degrees or master's degrees that were studying this kind of a thing, or maybe they're studying how to improve compression algorithms and they needed a, a tool to be able to give them kind of quantifiable differences between the two. That sounds like something that should be out there. And of course there is, <laughs> of course there's people that have done that. I, today here in 2021, that's, it's going to be there in any field you look into. There's going to be somebody that's done more research and more testing than you have. And that's probably going to be the case with what I'm outlining today, but I'm, I'm hoping that I've done a, a pretty thorough job here. So there's a library I found called image magic and magic is spelled M A G I C K. And, uh, it, they, it's a utility that has a whole lot of capabilities tons of capabilities there, image manipulation. But the thing I was interested in was a very small fraction of the capabilities. And that is in their comparison, uh, their compare mode that they have. And they offered in a compare mode, mode, 12 different types of mathematical comparisons that you can make on images. They call them metrics. So the, the command is you got magic compare dash metric and you can specify one metric at a time. I wish they had a way to make it so it would run all the metrics at once, but that's the format of the utility. You you specify a metric and then you'd have to run it. Uh, they support 12 different metrics. So you'd have to run the command 12 different times to get all of the metrics if you wanted them all. Uh, and, and so I needed to run this across all 1000 
images and needed to see like, where is it that these various images, like what's, what's the difference between the images? Um, the visual difference, I, I could go and try to run the, the difference in layers in Photoshop, but that was going to take a long time to be able to do that. And I, I didn't want to spend that time. So I, I really had to figure out how I was going to um, quantify this for all 1,000 images and see what, uh, what, what kind of information that would give me. All right, so I did that. I ran, I, I created a, a shell script, <laughs> ran the shell script to run this magic utility over it. And I ran it to, uh, to get all, all of these different images together. Um, I ran a whole bunch of metrics, but the, there were only three that really appealed to me. And I'm sure the other metrics mean something to these folks that are using these tools to do research or, or whatever else is going on. But they're the three that were pertinent to me, and I think therefore for photographers, were the, the metrics called AE, which stands for absolute error count, and they say it's the number of different pixels. The PSNR, which is peak signal to noise ratio, a little bit more complicated and uh, tough to kind of tell, but I think, it, it, I mean, it's, it's measured on a decibel scale, which isn't linear and and it's really kind of tough to understand exactly what it is but i think it can roughly and i'm saying roughly <laughs> roughly be kind of a percentage similar number and then there is the mae which mean is mean absolute error normalized average channel error distance number um and i didn't really find as much value in that one i i included it in my initial test but the psnr is the one i liked the very best and that's the one i'm going to use most as we're talking about this if you're interested in digging in on what those mean maybe you have more uh, of a mathematical background where that's going to be meaningful to you go dig in they have the data they have the information on this so you can absolutely dig in it's open source you can even get down to a code level if you care but i don't think most of you do so we're just going to move on and say i have a good metric it also had this capability of illustrating a visual difference kind of similar to what you see out of photoshop with the difference layers and the threshold uh, which was good to be able to kind of get a second validation that yeah that's it's it's pretty accurate what i had seen out of photoshop with the threshold adjustment layer um, they do a different approach though it's red although i think you can configure the command line utility to uh, illustrate the differences however you want they also kind of overlay the difference on top of a faded version of the original images that were being compared so pretty cool little technique again they have to be the same resolution they don't have to be the same quality that's what you're measuring is kind of the quality difference or the the number of pixels that changed but um, it's interesting and i have some of those visual differences that came out of Im image magic over in the show notes if you want to take a look at those and, and the red is what's different but here's where things kind of got more interesting. I sort of expected going into this that you'd lose a little bit of quality every time you put it through the system. And I thought that by round 1000 of putting it through these social networks, I'd end up with like this really fuzzy image, right? And so this was a way I could be able to tell now, like, well, sort of, where did the images uh, stop being compressed if they did. And this was a way to be able to tell this. So I, I have the full data for the first 29 posts for Facebook out on the show notes. So you can see that and see what I was looking at. But um, the PSNR is the one, again, I liked the best, which is, I'm going to say very, very roughly 
kind of the percentage of pixels that are the same in the photos. So between one and two, that PSNR number for Facebook was 45, almost 46. So about 46% of the image was the same between the two, but still less than half, <laughs> more than half the pixels were changed. If you assume this is a percentage, which isn't a fair thing, but let's just kind of say it, say that that's true. And uh, between two and three, that D that increases to uh, 47. So they, it's getting more similar, less was lost, but there's still more than half of the image was changed between two and three, between three and four, that goes to 49 to four to five 51. So now we're less than half of the image got changed, but it's still a huge portion of the image that got changed. And that goes all the way. The number keeps increasing until between images 28 and 29, there is no pixel difference between those two. All of the metrics went to zeros at that point. And so I can tell you that after putting an image through Facebook 29 times, the image from the 28th post and the 29th post are identical. The compression engine no longer touches it, but it took 29 rounds of posting through Facebook's engine, compression engine, before that was possible. Okay, so that gives us more data here and should solidify. There's nothing you can do when you are compressing the image to make that happen because even using Facebook's compression engine, it recompressed the image until the 29th upload. That number was different for Instagram where that number went to 37. It took 37 rounds of this post download post cycle before there was no difference in the images. Images 36 and 37 were exactly the same. All of those image magic numbers came to be exactly the same. What about Twitter? Now I have a numerical way to be able to compare these things. We're not relying on file size, which can be misleading. We're not relying on visual differences. We have a quantifiable way to be able to analyze these pixels and see what's changed. Every one of them were identical. There was no change at all. So again, leaving the door open for the fact that with Twitter, you might be able to have a certain pixel dimension and a certain quality setting that would make it so that the engine didn't do anything to your image. Because I have evidence that at least when I take an image one time through the engine, it changes it that first time, but now a thousand times after that, it never changes the image. It's exactly the same pixel for pixel across the whole thing. Super interesting. Okay, so, but I had, I couldn't stop there. <laughs> I had to go deeper. I had to be able to continue with this. And, and like, is that really true? If it's possible, the doors open that Twitter, this might be possible. That means what I need to do now is I need to do various quality settings and see, can I export out of Photoshop at a certain quality level and have Twitter not alter my image? And I have the tools now to be able to do that. And so I started the test and I, I needed to do it for all three anyway, just to see, even though the, the data that I have to this point tells me Facebook and Instagram, there's nothing you can do. I wanted to, to, go through the test anyway, just do the test. Now at this point, we're trying to bypass the compression engine. 
We're trying to do what so many photographers have told, told you in the year over the years that you can do. And I'm telling you, you can't, but we, we have some data to be able to try to figure out how, if it's possible, how you can do it. So let's start with Facebook. I'm going to say Twitter for the end, <laughs> the grand finale, but let's start with Facebook. All right. So we know 1920 is the biggest long edge pixel dimensions that Facebook will support. So I know I need to export the image out of Photoshop with the long edge set to 1920. If it's bigger than that, for sure, Facebook is going to downsize it. And we're trying to bypass that happening. So I got to set it to 1920. I also have information that the 28th and 29th images were not touched. So I have file size that came out of those images. There's no kind of metadata in there that tells you the quality that's used. And it wouldn't mean anything anyway, because it's Facebook's compression engine. It's not Adobe's engine that's in Photoshop. So even if they had some sort of a number in the metadata, it's their number and it doesn't mean anything for what we have access to. So, but I have a file size target. So if it's possible to downsize an image or export an image out of Photoshop, I need it 1920 and I needed it to be under 664 kilobytes in size. That was the target I had from my data from doing this um, in those 28th and 29th images. Hope that makes sense. So I went into Photoshop and I set my um, image size on exports to being 1920 in the long edge, which made it 1536 on the shorter edge, uh, three by two aspect. Well, I think that's actually eight by 10. And, uh, and then I exported at various quality levels to see where do I get an image that is under that 664 kilobyte limit at 42%. I was just over the number. So I had to go to 41% on the quality settings in Photoshop to end up with an image that was under the target. And so then if there was a possibility to be able to bypass Facebook's compression engine with settings in an export, this was going to be the one it's under the file size and it's got the right pixel dimensions. And so if Facebook looked at those attributes and to determine if the image could just be saved, this would be the one. I posted it, I downloaded the resulting image, and the file size increased. <laughs> it went up. Not only did was it different, it went up. I was shocked. I was like, what? It went up in file size? That kind of leads me to believe that Facebook might not only be downsampling images that are too big and too high a quality, they might be like upsampling an image if it's lower quality. And I don't know if they've intended to do that, but their compression algorithm kind of seems to be doing that, at least based on file size, which is really the only metric we can tell. And so I had to go do a lot of submissions. I, I had to get to the bottom of this. Like why, at what it went to a bigger file size here when I used 41% for the quality. That's crazy. So I started at the tens. I did 100, 90, 80. I did all the way down to, to 40 and wanted to see what the resulting file size came out to be since this was so strange. So at a hundred percent quality level, my image at 1920 came out to be uh, about 3.5 megabytes, 3,568 kilobytes. All right. So, and then the image that I downloaded from Facebook from that image was a tiny 608 kilobytes. It reduced it 83% 
in size. And these are the same pixel dimensions. It still came out with a long edge of 1920, but it was 83% smaller in size. And at 90%, I came out with exactly the same 608 kilobytes and it shrunk the image 76%, but that's really only smaller because the original file size was smaller at 2,532 bytes. And all of this stuff is on the site. So you can, it's, it'll be much easier to go visualize it there at phototacopodcast.com. The interesting thing was that the file size started to grow at 77%. And at 71%, I actually got out of the compression engine, a file size that was 1,104 kilobytes. Almost, it was a little over a met, uh, well, almost a megabyte. And it was a little over a megabyte in size. Bigger than the result I got when I put in a quality level of 100. So if you'll remember at the top of the show, I was trying to convince you, you don't want to use 100%. Here's evidence that with Facebook, you end up with a worse result at 100% JPEG quality than you get for my image, this specific image, at 71% quality. In fact, I tested uh, 73, 72, 71, 70, and it was clear for this image, 71% resulted in the largest image out of Facebook. And therefore, we, sh- we could assume, I think it's a, a fair thing to assume, the highest quality version of the image after going through the Facebook engine. It was better than what I got at 72 to 100. It was better. And, um, and then at 60, it drops a little. At 50, it drops a lot. And, but I still, even at 40, I got a bigger file size out of Facebook than the, the image I set at 100% quality in a post. It's very interesting, super surprising to me. I did not anticipate this being there. But what I came to was 48%. The image setting set at 48% had a 0% difference in file size. Now, it wasn't exactly the same. The bytes themselves, the byte size of the files were not exactly the same. It was 768 kilobytes versus 765. But for the accuracy of this test, that's really, really close. So now the question is, well, what's the pixel level difference between those two images? The file size is similar. The pixel dimensions are exactly the same. So is that image at a pixel level identical? And I did that test and I'll tell you about it in just a second. But first, let's move to Instagram and Twitter for this same kind of uh, quality setting to file size differences that that you have you can get. And I have all of the data set for this. And so for, for Instagram, um, a similar pattern to Facebook, which you kind of expect. Facebook owns Instagram, the operations, the things they're doing there. Are, are really similar, but the values are different. So in with Instagram, the magic point where the file size that I had in my original matched very closely to the file size that came out of the compression engine was 39% instead of 41. Same image, um, but the, the pixel dimensions are different and 39% was the image quality place where it was the same. And that's the value where I'm interested at like a pixel level. Are they different? 
Um, I didn't see the same kind of uh, change where a certain quality level led to a much bigger file size out of Instagram. So that's a little different than Facebook, but it also did seem to be upsizing a little bit. So starting after 39 at 38%, now the file size that comes out came out of Instagram was actually bigger, 2% bigger than the file size that I had in the original image when I exported it at 38%. And that held true for 30 and 20. And I didn't do a lot more testing because it's really not that meaningful, but it's interesting that at like 20%, you have a file size, an original file size of 187K and you end up with a post at 220, so 21% bigger in the post. And so, so kind of interesting that that worked that way. And, but is it possible that that 39% quality level with the file sizes being so similar, what's the pixel differences between those two? So we'll get to that. First, Twitter. What did it look like for Twitter? And um, this was was also pretty interesting um, because we do arrive at, a, at the same uh, file size number, but there wasn't the same pattern as Facebook and Instagram. It's a very different pattern. The, the percentage smaller just kind of has a steady decrease. Uh, well, sort of. It, it's, it's top heavy. So, and another argument for why you don't want to do 100% quality because uh, Twitter takes more out of your image at that rate. And here's what I mean, and you should go look at the results, but for quality levels 81% and above in Photoshop, when the resulting image that I got out of Twitter was about half of the resolution of the, or the file size that I got out of an image when I used 80% quality and uploaded it. So not only with Twitter, not only are you wasting time, disk space, and bandwidth when you export images that are 100% JPEG quality, here it is evidence that the file size that came out of the service, posting it at above 80, at 81% and above was half the size of what I got at 80. And that held true like at 77%, it was uh, a, big, a bigger file size. You didn't really get to file sizes that were smaller than the 100% until you go all the way down to 50. And this will make sense if you go look at it. I know it's kind of hard in audio to understand this, but that was super interesting to me about how at 80, that 80% was like this magical value for the image I was using in Photoshop to make it so that I got a better, a bigger file size out of Twitter as the, as the end result. Super, super interesting. All right, now let's compare, and this is going to be kind of the final dig deeper, but this, <laughs> this is the last dig deeper that I made. Now I wanted to see, now that I had images that I had exported out of Photoshop that has similar file size to the image I got out of the service, now I wanted to do that pixel level comparison. So I have the Facebook difference, layer difference comparison, where the white shows the differences. And for Facebook, there's a lot of white. Even though the file size is similar and the pixel dimensions are identical, there's still a lot of pixels that were changed as I uploaded that image. I did not avoid or bypass the compression engine because I compressed the image to a level that it looked like Facebook was compressing to. I still couldn't avoid the engine. And then I have the, the visual difference that comes out of image magic where the red shows that illustrates the difference. And there's a lot of red on that image that came out of Facebook. 
And then I did the image magic PSNR metric, the number, and only about, and it came out to 38.04. So again, very rough comparison or, or saying that's kind of how much, how, what percentage of the image is the same. It's only 38%. The file size and the pixel dimensions are pretty much identical, but the pixels themselves, only 38% of them are the same. Facebook destroyed the image. They definitely compressed it, even though I gave it an image that looked like it shouldn't need compression according to what Facebook wants. It still did. It still did it a lot. Same can be said for Instagram. I, I took that uh, 39% quality image. I put it through the different the Photoshop difference layers, lots and lots of white, probably more white than for Facebook. Instagram had a ton of white. There's a ton of red on the image magic image visual difference too that uh, that shows the different pixels. So you should go take a look. The PSNR number, 31. Only 31% of this image was similar between the two. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's nothing you can do. To posting to Facebook and Instagram, There's it doesn't matter what you set your settings to. They're both going to recompress your image. It's going to pass through that image compression algorithm for both services. What about Twitter? <laughs> to this point, everything we've looked at says that Twitter doesn't change the image. So let's take a look here. I posted an image at 20%. That's the quality level where the file size was similar between my original image and the download I made after one post through Twitter. And sure enough, fully black, no white on the image in the Photoshop difference. And the image magic difference, visual difference, no red, no red at all. And when I do the PSNR, it comes out as INF, which I think means infinite or really zero difference at a pixel level between those two images. So, okay, yeah, 20% uh, quality level does seem to not really have your image altered when you post it through, through Twitter. Absolutely does for Facebook and Instagram. Nothing you can do. They're going to be altered. But Twitter, this one wasn't altered. Those two images were identical. But 20% is really low quality. <laughs> we would, None of us would be happy with using a quality level of 20% when sharing our images on Twitter. So what about the 77? That's the magical number we've been driving to, what we've been recommending. What does it look like at 77? No difference. I put it through the engines. The the um, Photoshop layer difference didn't show anything, no white. The PSNR visual difference from Image Magic, no red. They were identical. So now I needed to find out, well, what are the limits here? Where Where are these boundaries where a certain compression level leads to what looks like Twitter not changing your image and maybe actually bypassing the engine? Maybe we have evidence now that you can actually bypass the compression engine when you post to Twitter. So I did my original quality versus, uh, I, I did the PSNR metrics to be able to see. And sure enough, and we talked about this previously, where it, it was interesting that at 80%, I got a, a bigger file size out of Twitter than I got at 81% or above. And that seems to be true no matter the image. I, because of this data, I went and tested a few other images and it held true across all of them that I tried. 
80% this magical thing in Photoshop and Lightroom. It'll be, it could be even a little higher in Lightroom um, because the differences there between the compression engines, it seems like you can, uh, uh, a face or sorry, a Photoshop 80% is more like a Lightroom 85% or so. And I'm going to do that test later to see kind of exactly where this lies, but yeah, out of Photoshop, 80%, and if you used 77, you're going to be really safe across both Lightroom and Photoshop. Twitter didn't touch the image. Now, I shouldn't say didn't touch. They did reformat it. The The byte size is different between the two. So it's not like it just passed through untouched because it did. Their byte sizes are different. But at a pixel level, comparing the data, there's no difference when it's 80% or below. I tested 80 70, 60, all the way down to 10. No difference at, from a pixel level. The PSNR is zero. Um, 81%, it is 34. Uh, it gets a PSNR of 34. Only 34% of the image was the same. And it's a much smaller file size. So if you want the best quality image out of Twitter, you can actually sort of bypass the compression engine as long as you have a quality level of 80% or below out of Photoshop, and that's going to be safe in Lightroom as well. Super interesting results. And that's why I'm going to, at my final thoughts, I'm going to say you really should just consider doing 77% on most images. If you're super worried about it, maybe go to 80. <laughs> if you really want to give it the best possible chance, 80 could be something to justify, although I, I really think 77 is just a simple way to think about it because it's a magical number in Lightroom and it's a good number in Photoshop. It does a really good job of balancing file size to quality. All of that's there. There's other people have said the same thing. 77 is a really good number to use. And then if you're going to post to all three and you want the best you can get, 4096 on the long edge is a very proven. I have the data for it now that says that's what you should do is, is post that. And then if you, um, but if you're not going to post to Twitter, then for Facebook and Instagram, which is probably the more common, those two targets, you probably don't, most of you listening probably don't post to Twitter. Then you don't even need to go to 4096. You may as well just go to 1920. If you're want to give it a little boost and, and give it a little more pixels because no matter what you're going to do, Facebook and Instagram are going to compress your image. Then maybe go 2048. That's still really good advice. If your target is Facebook and Instagram, 2048 quality level 77, and, and you'll be good for those two, but you'll, you need to go up to at least 4096 if you want to go to Twitter and, and uh, have it be the highest possible result. There you go. That is the, finally the <laughs> the end result here. After 80 more than 80 hours of testing this, it took a long time to get all this data gathered together, all these comparisons, getting the the 1000 rounds of uh, posting the images through these engines and it was it was a lot of work, but I I have a definitive resource now with empirical data backing what it is that I I was seeing and I I hope you found it helpful. 
You can find my work over at jsharmanphotos.com for my photography uh, things that I do. You can find my other podcast, uh, Master Photography Podcast, over at masterphotographypodcast.com. You can find my Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And I use all three, though. I'm mostly on Twitter, to be honest. I don't really like being on Facebook much. And Instagram feels like a complete waste of time to me personally. If you don't, that's fine. I'm not condemning you. But, but I don't find value in it for me personally. Uh, so I'm, I'm in there, uh, maybe once a day, if that, all right. And, uh, and that's it for this episode. If you want to have show notes, uh, go over to phototacopodcast.com and you don't want to miss these show notes. <laughs> There's so much data there. You really want to go check it out and visual comparisons of these images. And, uh, you can always, uh, tag the show or try to contact me via Instagram at phototacopodcast or there's snail mail or not snail mail. There's old school email at phototacopodcast at gmail.com. No question too basic or too complicated for the show. If I don't know the answer to the question, and I often don't, then I find a guest. I find an expert guest that I can bring on the show so that we can work through it. Thanks everybody so much for listening and uh, we'll see you again next month. Views expressed on this program by independent hosted callers do not necessarily reflect the views of Master Photography Podcast, LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links with permission to Olé!